Talking Leaders is a Voquinexus production, creating audio content that really gets people talking. Today, I'm in conversation with Debbie Aurelius. Debbie is a communications consultant specializing in internal communications. She's owner of communications consultancy Peppermint Fish, and she's the host of the most excellent podcast, Be a Bigger Fish, of which I have to admit I am a big fan. Absolute must for anyone involved in or interested in podcast production. So welcome, Debbie. Thank you very much. That's a very kind thing to say. Thank oh, you. Oh, no. Yeah. And and I have to say, if we if we had the time, we could probably spend hours and hours and hours talking about all things podcasts, because I think it's a well-known phenomenon. You put two podcasters together, they can talk the XLR cable out of a microphone. <laughs> yeah. I think that's true. Completely true. Yeah, yes. but we better not do that today because our audience for talking leaders is is not podcast producers, but it's people who are interested in using audio, primarily for leadership communications, or are already into into it all. So let's let's focus on that now. Peppermint Fish, uh, you offer a range of communication solutions to your clients, don't you? Not not just audio. So it, audio wouldn't necessarily be your first choice for every solution. No, that's right. So um, I I was an internal communications professional in-house where I had to use all the different channels um, relevant to our colleague group, I suppose. So I'm still able to offer those solutions to the clients I work with. Mm-hmm. Um, my preference is for audio. I feel most comfortable making audio content and I'm, I'm, I'm very positive about the, the future of audio in mm. organisations at the moment. Mm. But being honest, it's probably split three ways. I make as much video content content as I do pure audio content. And I also still make presentations and documents and, you know, a lot of um, digital content that people need to put on their intranets and websites and that sort of thing. Right, right. And you choose you choose the the medium that, that meets the particular need, I'm sure. Absolutely. And that's that's what's key, really, in a modern approach to internal communications is that you listen very much to the audience and to the the mood and the culture of the organisation you're working in. And you choose the correct communications channels really to re- reach people where they are mm. um, and in a way that kind of upholds the organisational aims and, and culture. Right, so. right. So then looking at audio, because that's that's our, sort of our primary interest for the moment. I, what is it about audio content? which could include podcasts, but can include other things as well, that yeah. that makes it so powerful and, and therefore makes it appropriate for a given need. Yeah, it's got a range of benefits. And, and we know that um, audio content, particularly podcasts, have grown exponentially in popularity externally. And that kind of goes along with the rise of the use of smartphones and the fact people have got used to consuming content on the go. So they know they can download the content and take it with them. Mm. So there's an element of that that has become more important inside organisations too, where we're trying to reach out to people and encourage more two-way conversation and dialogue and more individualized solutions for employees wherever they happen to be whether that's in an office or if that's remotely out um, with customers or out in a warehouse or out on the road Mm. so audio is um, it's a really flexible way of communicating with people that they can access on the go wherever they are and even while they're multitasking. So they may decide to listen to a company update while they're driving to their next appointment, for example. Mm -hmm. So it really allows you that sort of flexibility. But I think the the area that audio really excels is in its ability to convey authenticity and the real personality of the communicator. So it's absolutely super for leaders who feel a little bit 
self-conscious when they're in front of a camera and find it really hard to convey their personality and their true views on things when they're being self-conscious. And it allows you to really focus on the content and to communicate as if you're speaking to one person. So I think for trust building, it's absolutely the perfect choice. Right. I mean, it's interesting there, use of the word trust. Have you got any examples of where you think that going down the audio route particularly helped in building trust? I've certainly, I've made a video in the past, actually, um, with a senior HR um, manager. And it was it was great content. And I knew that she was very um, enthusiastic about the message she was trying to get across. But she was extremely self-conscious um, in, in front of the camera. And her, her body language was such that it was undermining the message mm. of the content. So she was saying exactly the right things. But because she was needing to refer to a script constantly because of nervousness, it kind of undermined the authenticity of what she was saying. Yeah. So I did I did away with the visual and just used the audio and the audio was brilliant. You know, she was absolutely spot on. The things she was saying were heartfelt um, and they were things that her colleague group really needed to hear. So in that case, um, the, the audio won out uh, definitely. And so I think, you know, the fact that people listen to audio generally one-to-one they, they listen alone with a headset makes the delivery of that message quite intimate in a way so if they're able to tune into one person's voice to their tone of voice um, they, they kind of judge whether or not that person's reading a script or not mm. I think so that, mm. that can make a difference but if they're hearing an authentic message um, you know from that one person I think that that's that's a really great way to to build trust in that message and in that person mm. Mm. So when you're making some audio content with a client, what sort of approach do you take? Is it always one-to-one -one interviews or do you take other formats? It really depends on the message that we're trying to get across and, and who's involved in creating that message. I would say my preference and the predominant um, method that I use is conversation. So um, an interviewer and a respondent. Mm. And I think that conversation works well for people who are creating the content. So I've, I've created a, a podcast series recently um, with a range of topic experts in areas like psychology, um, psychometric testing, that sort of thing. And each of those experts I spoke to, I gave them the option of either just speaking directly into the microphone or responding to questions. Mm -hmm. And in almost every case, they chose to respond to questions because I think that feels more natural and it feels more conversational and it's easier to respond authentically to an honest question than it is to sit and give a huge presentation that would last an hour. You mm. know, there's, there's something very formal about that, I think, that mm. unless you're sort of telling a story and it's, you know, completely sort of creative and off the cuff, I think it's very difficult to convey um, informational um, content just right. straight without right, any conversation. Right. See what I mean? So yeah. I, I feel like I think the, the almost interview style, but a, a relaxed interview style, so it's more conversational, is probably the most successful content for audio. Yeah. Um, I have made audio content where it's a large group of people um, conversing, and, and I made one panel um, episode for my podcast series that I'm, I'm not sure if you listened to. So there were three people contributing, and mm. I was kind of moderating. Mm. And I really loved making that episode. It was brilliant. It was really dynamic to have those three different voices and to mm. invite them, you know, to participate in different sort of questions. So I think um, I think there's more space for round table, as they call it, round table content um, yeah. in audio too. So if you could get, say, your whole exec team 
um, in a room and put the same question to them and listen to their various responses and their different perspective on that same scenario, for example, I think that would be a really successful piece of content. Yeah, to, to yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've had clients in the past say, oh, you know, we'd like to have a number of people involved. Do you have an upper limit on how many voices you would you would advise you could you could have in a, in a multi voice podcast? That's a really good question. And again, I think it depends on the content and the style. So if you're talking about something where you'd like to have an element of calm in the conversation and you want the message to come across quite clearly and deliberately, I think you'd have to limit the numbers. So you'd want sort of three, maybe four people maximum. Mm. Um, Once you start to introduce lots and lots more people, not only do you get over talk, which is very difficult to edit um, for audio. So where two people talk over each other, there's really yeah. not much you can do with that. Um, so uh, you, you do lose quite a bit of content from that. Um, but not only that, it's actually um, side noises. So if you get lots and lots of people, you try to record them together, invariably there'll be somebody who opens a bag with a zipper or uh-huh. logs into their laptop or you know, because they don't realise that that noise interference is yeah. you know going to be part of the recording. So, so yeah, you have to be careful about it. But I have, I think the maximum number of people I've had in a room and recorded is probably about 15 um, and that's for a, a podcast series I produced for a, a local charity where anybody was invited to come and have their voice heard on the podcast so I right. think yeah right. 15 was right. probably the peak and that that's that's hard going mm. I would say. 15 um, yeah. wow, wow. Yeah. I've, I've, I've done seven and that was it was in the in the early days when zoom had not long been out and um I had only got two microphones, so I had to get everybody to sit quite close around the microphone. That was fine, uh, but my big problem was there were three women who whose voices were very similar, and oh. when you were listening back, it was really hard to tell was that was that that one or that one or that one. Um, so that was a that was a real challenge. But uh, yes. Yeah. So when you're talking to a client about the possibility of doing audio. Uh, I think a lot of people are aware of of the classic podcast, but there are so many more things you can do with audio, aren't they? Just, just walk us through the kind of things that you might recommend. Yeah, absolutely. And I think identifying specific audiences and their needs is the start to that. So you may have a, a vast sales force that's distributed across a, a large geographical area, um, mm. and you might want to share with them product information or pricing information that can change dynamically. So a very short, snappy, to the point piece of audio that you can distribute to them really quickly could be absolutely the thing that solves their need. They won't have to pull over somewhere to read it. They can listen to it on the go. So that's a kind of micro application of audio. And you probably do that as as a sort of monologue thing rather than a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Unless you had, say, if it you did a product update from head of product development, you did a marketing update from somebody in the marketing team. If you had different voices for different uh, right. pieces of information, you'd get that actual expert's voice into their ear just before, say, they arrive at their client location. So I'll never forget hearing a piece of audio feedback from a colleague in an organization in exactly that role. So they were driving from client to client and they literally said, this is perfect for me. I just had the update I needed as I was driving to my client's premises, which was absolutely ideal. So, you know, that, that kind of scenario, I think it's really powerful. 
but bear in mind what we said about um, that element of trust and authenticity that you can convey through audio. I think it's a great medium to tackle sort of softer skills or people issues inside an organisation um, in a way that's not necessarily just information sharing, but it's more experience sharing. Mm-hmm. And it's a great medium for storytelling. Mm. So if you want to give a really good illustration of how your culture is working or how your culture is evolving, then ask regular people in the organization, what's their experience of that? You know, what was their best day at work and and why was that a really great day? What was their best customer interaction and why was it really effective for that customer? You get those real life stories of the the organization at its best in action, you know, from the people who've actually um, experienced those. I think that's very powerful message Mm. to Mm -hmm. share across the organization. And that's also sometimes really helpful content for people outside the organization, either who are potential customers or who are potential employees. Mm -hmm. So hearing about an organization's culture from its people, rather than the kind of glossy version that a leadership team might um, promote, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. can be the thing that helps somebody to feel more connected with that organization. So, So certainly any communications you have to share that are very personal in nature that tell a personal account or a first person story audio is a brilliant medium um, for Mm. that kind of thing yeah that one about um uh, sharing externally and sharing company experience i don't know if you've you've uh, come across the spark which was uh, is a podcast produced by philips the electronics manufacturer um and, and I really like that because what they did is they wanted to share the innovative culture within Philips. They wanted to, to reach out to people who potentially wanted to work in an environment where they could be creative and where innovation was encouraged. So it's a series of interviews with people who've joined the organization talking about what they they found when they joined and how much you know how much they love it because they all love it of course but um and it's really good i really en- enjoyed it. i think it was a terrific use of of audio for all the reasons that you gave because you hear the person speaking themselves about their own experience and it's the way they say it that, that that's really infectious and and, and really really grabs you I think yeah I totally agree it's certainly the emotion that comes through in somebody's voice that's so compelling it's not yeah, just yeah. you know what they say um it literally is the 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 way that they convey that information you can read their enthusiasm effectively yeah, can't you yeah. but just by by hearing how they yeah. talk about it so yeah um a really good uh, in-house example um that's cited quite a lot in the internal communications industry is the green room by Deloitte and that's uh, an amazing production completely led by employees they they wrote the music they record and publish it um, and it's a panel of employees at Deloitte uh, who interview a range of people senior people not senior people depending on the topic and they cover quite a broad range of topic areas they've spoken about things like imposter syndrome um, what it feels like when you first start a new job um, they've spoken about even you know renewables and recyclables and you know how green is Deloitte and that sort of thing so it's it's great to hear the different kinds of topics that they want to explore, mm-hmm. let alone, you know, the actual content of the podcast. So, and I, I'm guessing that has more of a peer-to-peer feel about it rather than the somewhat more broadcast type communication. Because if you get a leader, uh, actually, even if they're, as you say, in a, in a sort of relaxed conversation, they're still sort of sending information out to people um, uh, rather than necessarily just sort of sharing. But that sounds like it is more like peer-to-peer sharing. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's very conversational in tone, and I think it, it works really, really well. Um, uh, yeah, they're doing a brilliant job with it. Mm, mm. Um, Any other uses of audio that, that uh, you want to, to highlight? Yeah, I guess quite a lot. So um, my previous uh, career was in learning and development. So I think audio is a brilliant way to share learning content and particularly um, continued professional development content. So that's a constant challenge for lots of professions is to make sure that their members are up to date with their knowledge and understanding, but that they can share relevant content you know, that's good quality um, and is accessible and they can share that quite quickly. I know from lots of professional organisations I've um, been in contact with that it's very difficult for them not to be, say, London-centric, where they expect people to travel to London to attend events in order to get their CPD points, those sorts of things. So a great way to overcome that geographic necessity is to capture the content on audio, share the audio. If you need to test understanding, you can obviously build in a mechanism to do that too. But if you just you know, take it on trust that people have listened to the audio and that's part of their development and growth. It's a really, really simple and effective way um, to share knowledge. And that audio content is accreditable then for continued personal development? Uh, yes, it can be. So you need to make sure what the benchmarks are, obviously, for accreditation, wherever you're creating that audio content. And it's generally that there's a certain amount of factual or learning content in the con in that audio capture that can be repeated or um, applied or is something that's, you know, um, know, tangible, I suppose. So as long as you make sure that if it's a conversation, say you ask enough questions to get that information out, or you've bullet pointed your talking points for the person capturing that content to make sure they cover the key areas Mm. they need to, that's generally what you need to do to achieve accreditation. Okay, good. So So just... Thinking about leaders, I mean, if, if a client is working with you and you are exploring their communication need, you're going to go through the thought process of saying, well, actually, in this situation, I think audio may be the best route. But um, a lot of leaders, maybe they haven't got an internal comms person to speak to or they haven't yet engaged an agency um, and they're trying to work it out for themselves. So what would you say that the thought processes that they should go through to maybe test out whether audio might be good for them, you know, sort of self-analyzing? I think a really good start point would be to think about what message they want to get across and what change they want to see as a result of Mm. that messaging. Then take a look at state normal. So what are they doing now and how effective is that? And a really great way to get that understanding is to do what we call a comms audit. So literally look at what are the channels you're using and test their effectiveness. Go out and ask your audience if they're working. And you may find, for example, you're sending extremely long emails on a weekly basis that you think are brilliant because they contain everything that everyone needs to know for that week. But your readership is incredibly low. Or what tends to happen is you know, people read these emails in what they call the Z formation. So they read the opening line in the first paragraph and they'll kind of scroll through to the bottom to see if there's a punchline at the bottom and that's about it. So you're not really getting full absorption of that content with your audience and if that's the case that might be a a really simple way to build in audio because instead of sending out that incredibly long email and not having a clue who's actually reading it you can capture that as audio and, and and send that out as audio that might be a good start and also you think about your different colleague groups and where they sit and what their day-to-day experience is you know as we 
discussed you could have people who are out on the road who are rarely in front of a screen and so just don't have very much reading time. You could have people who are in warehouses or protected environments who aren't allowed to use electronic equipment at all. And then you'll really need to think about how you mm. appropriately mm. reach those people and you know whether audio is, is something that they can access at certain times um, or not. So it really just depends on you know the, the message, the distribution methods you've got and the people in your organisation and how they actually like to you know receive and understand the information mm, you're conveying mm. and one so. of the things i often say in advocating audio is it's particularly good where you really need to dig deep into an idea or or a concept and explore it and uh, certainly for me having two people literally inside my head dissecting a a, a particular topic uh, is a really good way of, of of getting to terms with that, and quite often I've seen it used as a uh, as a sort of follow up, if you like. So you you might have some news, quite often around a change, it gives the bald facts about we're going to do this, we're going to do that, move move this lab, open uh, this new facility, sell off this part of the business, and people say, okay, well I I, I hear what you're going to say, but I don't understand, and then. Uh, some audio afterwards where someone's actually explained well why the whys and wherefores is is uh, can be quite powerful is that something you you would advocate to yes definitely i think there's certainly a range of um levels of appetite for the amount of information people consume over things like change so some people are happy with the headline mm, information mm. um and that's all they they want to know they don't want to be bombarded with lots of information they're compelled to read but for some people they like to know all of the detail underneath so that's a great use case for that for audio so you could release even you know a video or your usual notice board post or whatever giving the headline information of what's happening or what's about to come up and then say if you'd like to listen to a detailed examination of the um, underpinning reasons for this then there's a an audio capture that you can access this way and, and get, give mm. people the option what about length uh, one of the, the common uh, questions i get asked when people uh, first approach me and say they're thinking of doing audio and i think well, we'd like to do a podcast but can we keep it short because uh, nobody has any time and then they give me a long list of things that they want to cover and you say well look you know you want to say all these things but you've got got five minutes and then we we, we have a conversation what, what how do you find that that topic that's a really interesting topic and I keep looking that up actually because I, I go in-house and train people on podcast making quite often and it's one of the first things people ask is what's the ideal length of a podcast um, and there's no there's no actual answer to that. Again, it depends on the content, the circumstances and the appetite of your listener, I would say. So if you are giving a bulletin update, that should be 10 minutes because nobody expects a bulletin to last more than 10 minutes, right? You expect to be able to listen to that literally just after you've got up and as you're getting ready before you get in the car, whatever. You just want that to be snappy. So that's that's like a bulletin level podcast. If you're exploring an issue, I, I would say any less than 30 minutes doesn't give you time to get really deep into that issue. So again, if it's a summary, it's fine for it to be anywhere up to 30 minutes. But if you really want to explore a topic, give yourself 30 minutes um, or maybe a little bit bit more and then you know there, there are podcasts that are I think 
Joe Rogan podcasts are always in the top ten, and they're three so hours long. Hours. He had so four hours the other, the other month, yes. Just goes to show that it, one of the beauties of audio content, I think, is you can flex it um, to suit the content that you're capturing and the audience that you know are going to listen. I see quite a lot of commentary on social media where people say, you know, can you keep your podcast to 30 minutes? That's about the right time for me. And I know the sort of wisdom that's shared is that a podcast episode length should be the length of the average commute. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. Because people, yeah, but again, the length of the average commute varies so much depending where you live geographically, what method of transport you use. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, as long as it's short. But back to your comment about editing, I think um, there's one quote that I use when I'm training people. Um, I can't remember it now. My mind's gone completely blank. But it's about, um, you know, the, the podcast episode should be exactly as long as it needs to be and not a minute oh, yes, longer that's exactly that's we did an episode on that actually and, and i uh, we said how long should a podcast be and i waffle on and then i say at the end rather glibly a podcast exactly yeah. a podcast needs to be as long as it needs to be and no longer do you so do you ever layer information so you maybe do a shorter version and then if you want to hear the full interview yeah definitely and i i always do a little audiogram um out of my podcast episodes too to share on social media yeah i actually think just a little grab of um content is you get to hear the voice of the person who's in that episode just for a a very very short time and it gives you a glimpse of that person's pace and their personality and I, i i always enjoy listening to those little audiograms i think they're good if for people who don't know what an audiogram is, can you just explain what that is? Certainly. So you take a little tiny piece of capture out of your podcast, typically less than a minute. You put a little video tile effectively over the top of that audio. So you create just a little visual effect. So it generally has like a sound wave oscillating over the screen as you hear the voice talking. And I always put subtitles on mine um, because right. generally people watch these videos on social media at a time when they can't have the volume up on their phone. So it's important to have um, subtitles. Benefits. Now, how how can you measure the benefits of, of, of audio content? It's one of the things that, that gets asked a lot. I get it asked by people who are wanting to do some audio but have got to go to someone else in order to get the budget and it quite often can be a sticking point when you can actually say well these are the things that that you you know the benefits that you will accrue by going down the audio route how do you measure the benefits of audio content yeah that's a great question and measurement is such an overriding concern for lots of people in the communications industry um so i have learned to use a very simple model for measurement which is called the kirkpatrick model and it's something i was taught to use when i worked in learning and development which is another profession where measurement is absolutely key to the survival of those departments quite often so we're we're really used to measuring things like listens and clicks and reads and likes and we quite often fall into the trap of thinking that that is the definition of success of our content. So if it's had hundreds and hundreds of listens, it must be successful. But from an organisational perspective, that's not necessarily the case. So this Kirkpatrick model teaches you that that's the sort of first level of measurement and it's just reaction. So it's how many people actually reacted to your content, how many people looked at it, listened to it, clicked on it, liked it. That's just reaction level. It's not unimportant because it gives you a sense of scale in terms of you know how many people 
people you're actually evaluating the outcomes for. Um, but it's not the end of the show at all. So the next thing you need to think about is whether people actually picked anything up from your content. So did they actually take it in and did they remember some of it did, did any of it resonate with them did it have meaning for them was it something that they'll remember and you know when people say to you oh I listened to that part over and over again because I really wanted to remember it it's, it's measuring that kind of mm. response where people actually pick up some knowledge you, how do you find out is that through surveys or, or, or how, how do you pick that, that bit of information up yeah do you know one of the classic ways of doing that is through testing. That's what testing is generally about. So if, if it's really important to you to know that people have learned the three critical facts in a piece of audio, really the only way to, to do that is actually send them a multi-choice quiz or ask them to enter a competition and reply with the correct answer right, to right, right, you know, whatever right. the key question is. So that that's the best way to know if they've picked it up. But otherwise, you can do that kind of anecdotally through your feedback mechanisms or through focus groups or surveys or you know, if, if that's important mm. to you. Um, but again, that's not the end of the show. So the next step is whether they actually build that into their working practice. So if you have told them that instead of pressing ABC, they now need to press XYZ, you need to be able to, to measure whether or not they've actually made that change. So are they now actually doing the different thing that you tried to encourage them to do through your content? That's the third step, and it's still not the end of the game. So the fourth step is, what difference does that make to the organisation? And that's the step. It's the hardest to get to, but it is the most compelling if you're making a business case, because anybody running an organisation will want to invest in things that drives the organisation forwards and helps them to achieve whatever their definition of success is. So you really need to be in tune with that. If if it's really, really important to your organisation to change a process because it will drive an efficiency that will realise a saving of X, mm. then you need to be able to show how your audio content will help people to learn how to pick up that new process, become more efficient more quickly, push that change forward more rapidly than you would have expected and help them to realise that financial so benefit that, that more. Steps, that steps really the ROI, isn't it? I mean, trying to say by, by doing yes. this, you know, we, we'll, we'll spend this amount on doing the audio content, but it'll add this much to the bottom line. Um, and, and, and sometimes that is relatively straightforward. As you say, if you're talking to the sales force and, and you think that communicating some new way of working that, that is going to help improve sales performance, um, then you should expect to see that in in dollar terms, so to speak. Uh, it, it's more difficult though, where there isn't a, an obvious number that, that can go along with it, isn't isn't it? So it can be trickier. Oh, absolutely! It it really is a challenge, and particularly when you're changing cultural norms or you're changing, you know, soft skills or people issues. However, you you know de describe those things, it does become a lot harder. And quite often, whatever it is you're trying to achieve, you will need to collaborate with lots of other different people inside an organisation. So it's very hard to say the podcast on its own achieved this mm -hmm. result. That's that's nigh on impossible. Yeah, yeah. So it, there's yeah, bound yeah. to be collaboration with other forces inside the organisation too. So it's really about identifying those areas where it will help things to, I guess, happen more quickly, happen more effectively, um, happen in a way that makes it more long lasting. Remember, we talked about the scenario where you may have forgotten your training after three months of not using it. So it's about proving that you, you wouldn't need to re-spend 
um, on that training course again because people can access the content yeah. quite easily yeah. for free because you've already captured it so it's it's thinking about those sorts of scenarios um you know sometimes when you start off on a project they aren't always obvious and they emerge mm. as you're working on it um i worked on a, a digital transformation project for a large organization and one of the parts of that transformation was that people were being handed new laptops right and all of the whole organization had the same standard communication that came out centrally to say your new laptop will look like this it will happen on this day you turn up and speak to the engineer but in our part of the organization we wanted that process to align with our culture mm -hmm. Um, so we made a bit more effort with the communications effectively and we had face-to-face -face meetings. We tailored all of the communications to site-by-site -site issues and preferences. We made sure that the site leader in each site was on board with the program and kind of endorsed it and showed their enthusiasm for it too. We gave people more opportunity to ask questions and have things adapted to their individual needs. And as that uh, program rolled out, we discovered that we were receiving far fewer cancellations at the point of acceptance than other parts of the organization. Right, and right. it became clear it was saving quite a lot of money because that process of receiving the laptop um, was facilitated by um, engineers and their time was very expensive and very limited. And so if we had a cancellation, we had to rebook the engineer, repay for their time. And so we were demonstrating, um, a, you know, a really good saving comparatively, um, even though that wasn't what we expected when we started out on our campaign. It was really more about, you know, cultural alignment. Um, but, it, you know, it did deliver a cost saving. So, um, yeah, just be aware of the implications of, you know, these sorts of projects as you're working on them and really the benefits of whatever whatever channels of communication that you know you've chosen to use to achieve mm. that so. well we've run out of time we Debbie. have yeah and uh, as as you and i know from previous conversations we we probably could go keep going for several hours and make a joe rogan episode look quite short <laughs> but we do have to finish so thank you so much for coming on to talking leaders and and, and talking with oh me. it's been such a pleasure it's really nice to get to know you and i've thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you today so thank you thank you for listening to this episode of talking leaders if you think audio content could help you get your message over or if you're interested in being a guest on Talking Leaders, then drop me an email on paul.gisby at Let's talk.